So this past weekend, I gathered together with some of my friends and we played board games together. I know that sounds just like an ultimately thrilling kind of time. And you may be thinking this sort of thing like, oh, you mean like Yahtzee and Monopoly, but no. No, it's just like this whole secret society of intricate and complex board games that will leave your brain just spilled on the floor after two days of it. And we love it. One of the things that makes board gaming so interesting to me is this measure of profit and loss. You're constantly making a good board game anyway. You're constantly making these sorts of decisions. Or another way you may think of it is like, like risk versus reward, right? That it's something that you want and you're having to take a move early in the game to kind of risk taking a risk in order to pay off later in the game so that you can score higher or have more money or whatever the game is marking toward victory. And you can't necessarily know how it's going to turn out. Other times you just kind of hope for the best, right? Because a lot of times there's some sort of random element involved and that makes it fun and engaging and all of those things. But as we come to the book of Philippians, and particularly this passage today, Paul is also dealing with these same concepts of, of gain and loss. But he's speaking of the life that we have with Christ versus the life outside of Christ and comparing those two things in terms of gain or profit and then loss. Paired with the passage from last week where Paul gave us every reason why he should be able to boast in his position and, and prestige and the things that he has in this world. But he'll show us how these things ought to be considered when measured against the riches that we have in Christ, the gain that we have in Jesus. This is the Christian life. And I think these these uh, passages or these verses in Philippians 3, 7 through 11 are some of the most important in the New Testament and just helping us understand this life that we lead as Christians, the walk on this earth, the continued growing and learning about how Jesus is so much better than anything else, everything else that we could possibly compare Him to. And all of our failings, in fact, all of the things that we struggle with, all of our missteps can be attributed to the fact that we stop believing this simple idea that Jesus is indeed better. Our most rewarding experiences as believers, are they come when we embrace that truth. So as we move through this passage, I want to consider those same ideas as gain and loss, looking at two main points, all things lost versus all things gained. And so with that, let's look together at the text, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 7 through 11. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith 
that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen. This is God's Word. You may be seated. So just to kind of rehash the context here, the first part of chapter 3, there is this distinct shift that happens in the tone of the book as it begins dealing with the effects that we see of false teachers on the people of the church there in Philippi. The specific false teaching that is being dealt with is that circumcision is a means of salvation. That by being circumcised, one can be right with God. Rather than needing Christ, you need only go through with this procedure and then you will be right with God in His eyes. He reminds them in 3 that their confidence is not in, in verse 3, that their confidence is not in flesh, but their confidence is because of Christ. And then he goes on and he says, but if anybody, if anybody could have confidence in the flesh, it's me, is what Paul said. If anyone could get in God's good graces because of being a Jew, Paul was the quote-unquote Jew of the Jews. And that is where Lars left off last week as he preached through that passage, the idea that our salvation is in Christ alone and that even the best of the Jews couldn't see the Father because of their Jewishness. They needed Jesus. In our text today, we get that same idea highlighted as he brings forward a few ideas that we encountered in those first few chapters in chapters 1 and 2 of Philippians as well. These verses, again, as I, and I'll state this, these verses are some of the best in the Scriptures of helping us to see our worth when it comes to the righteousness of Christ. Paul measures his value as the best of the Jews against what he has in Christ. In a world that places infinite value on wealth and power and prestige, these are comforting words for us. And that brings us to the first point, all things lost. Look with me again at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Again, this idea, whatever gain I had. Paul is speaking here of his position prior to Christ. and So let's look back at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3. He says, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, the people of, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he's giving his pedigree for us, right? As a, as a Jewish citizen, then as a high-ranking official in the in the Jewish religion, and then as just before the law, he says he is blameless. He makes sure that we understand that his zeal for his religion is such that he was willing to bring anyone to justice who was a threat to it, which is exactly what he was doing when Jesus caught up to him and threw him on the ground in the on the way to Damascus. It's hard for us to understand how impressive this is, a lot of times because of our cultural differences, right? When we read, you know, the tribe of Benjamin and all this kind of stuff, it's just kind of, it's kind of lost on us. Even as, even as students of the Bible, it's kind of lost on us. But we all understand personally 
ascribe traditions and culture and our upbringing. We all understand what it means to really care about those things and have pride in those things. And it's that kind of personal position and pride that in something that Paul is letting go of here. And his word choice here is very important, and I want to I want to focus on these words. These words are gain and loss. He says, "Whatever gain I had." This word here is meaning profit. It's a financial word, and it generally speaks of this idea of profit, right? We all understand profit after everything is cleared. This is what's left over. This is the gain that is that is had. When it comes to Paul's reputation as a Jewish man. There was much profit to be gained there. He had a position of a Pharisee. He knew all the right people. He had a great education. He was given access to benefits that others could only dream of. And this was gain after a life of faithfulness and zeal for this religion that he had. And now what he is saying about all this gain that he could have reveled in, and he did before Christ, that it is all loss. And so as you'd expect, this word loss is the opposite of gain, but it's a little bit different. Specifically, it's, a, it's another financial word that is used here, and it's one that's not just losing something, but it's like loss associated with like the damage of property. Like if you, you're losing something because your property has been damaged, that kind of loss. The same word is used in Acts 27 when speaking of the shipwreck that happened in that chapter, that there was much loss associated with that shipwreck. And the idea is that the prophets, all the prophets that were being shipped across the ocean, not just the people there, obviously, but the things the ship had on it. This was a loss for the owners of that ship. A farmer, this is something I'm familiar with where I grew up, a farmer might suffer great loss because of a hailstorm. Right after the plants poke their heads up into out in or out of the dirt into the sun, they're very vulnerable, and a hailstorm can completely destroy an entire crop. That is the kind of loss that Paul is talking about here. So understand what he's saying. All the profit that he had because of this cultural heritage, his position, his prestige, he now considers a complete loss due to damages. They're the opposite of being able to bring him wealth and prestige. These things that he considered once gain, they can't bring him wealth or prestige. They are only able to bring him loss and damage. Rather than adding to his life, these things are a liability to him. In verse 8, he goes a step further. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ so Paul counts everything as loss compared to knowing Jesus not just his culture not just his status but all things and you see this word loss here a few more times, which again is a very strong word denoting a kind of commercial damage that might be lost is associated with this. But he goes a step further. Paul goes a significant step further, in fact. Instead of just calling them loss, he says that they are rubbish. Now this word rubbish isn't a word that we use in our own language, honestly. 
very much. People say it, and it's almost kind of comical sounding. And so you may wonder why are they choosing this word. It's a very strong word in the original language. It's often used in other Greek sources to describe dung. But in a much more crass way, a much more common way. We have a word in the English language that we could use here to uh, substitute that, but we won't, or I won't use it from the pulpit. It's a word that we sometimes say when we are disgusted with something or someone, and it can be used for dung, but is much, much stronger than that. You know the word. Why would Paul choose this word? Because he wants us to realize the type of loss the world has to offer against the gain that we have in Christ. It's not enough to simply use words like profit and loss that we can at least generally understand. We need a new lower word to describe the things of this world. The things of this world that Paul has been speaking of, the things that we all relate to, wealth, power, prestige, knowing the right people, dropping the right names, having the right titles, all of these things are rubbish when compared to knowing Christ. And it may make us wonder, well, why would anyone chase after rubbish and think of it as profit? But that's exactly what we do. If I could just get a little bit more garbage, then I would be set for life. If I could just stack soiled clothes a little bit higher, then I would finally be able to reach the top. Christ traded heaven to come save us, but we'll trade Him for a garbage can full of rotten food at the flip of a switch. We regularly talk about the mercy of God in our lives. And this is a perfect example of what we mean when we say that God is merciful to us. Think of the things that we readily trade for God. Think of a single reason why God ought to bear us any second longer. He can't. He can't come up with a single reason, yet in His infinite mercy He does. Not only that, He gives us the perspective that we see here from Paul. He allows us to see our own sin and depravity and understand it more. He allows us as Christians more and more to see the things of this world as rubbish and to see Christ as gain. And it doesn't start that way. It doesn't start that way. But in Christ, it is changing. We are changing. There is nothing in the unbeliever that sees Christ as gain, but the believer more and more sees Christ as their ultimate gain. And that's what he goes on to next. Second point, last point, all things gained. Look with me at verse 9. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is a key to our whole life in Christ, our whole faith in God, that without the righteousness of Christ, we are rubbish. With it, 
We are sons and daughters of Almighty God. Without His righteousness, we are called children of wrath. But with it, we are children of the King of Kings. Each of Paul's letters, each of them, highlights the significance of Christ's righteousness over and against anything that we can earn by human means. We read in 1 Corinthians that Jesus became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. In Ephesians, we learn that we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God. In Galatians, we read that no one can be justified by works of the law, but only by faith in Christ. And we can continue to go on and on and on looking at His works. And He makes this point over and over and over. And we see it here in 9. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And notice... We have not only gained Christ and His righteousness, but we are found in Him. We have union with Christ. As we studied Galatians and Ephesians, we spent a great deal of time kind of building up this idea and what it means to be found in Christ and be joined with Christ or have union with Him. We are not merely covered by His blood, so to speak, as we talk about often that Christ's death gave us forgiveness of sins. And we understand that, and that is definitely true. But, and, but He has given us union with Him. We are in Christ. We are one with Him. And this union grants us so much more than salvation. It is a gift that has infinite value. And we see that in verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's take each one of these separately, briefly. That we may know Him. In Christ, we are able to know the God of the universe. 1 Corinthians 2, we are told that we have the mind of Christ. What does this mean? For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? Is what Paul kind of asked rhetorically. How can we even know the mind of the Lord as to instruct Him? But then he says, but you, speaking of the believers, have the mind of Christ. The rhetorical question, of course, there is for the unbeliever, but in Christ we can know God doesn't mean that we can fully understand His ways or His will, but we can know Him. And we take this for granted as believers that God Almighty is knowable to us because of the work of Christ. He's been given to us in His Word that we might know Him. We have access to the very words of God. We, we read the very words of God. We preach from the very words of God. We can indeed know Him. We are also told that we can know the power of His resurrection. Frankly, this is a hard one. But it is better understood by adding the next part, by sharing His sufferings and becoming like Him in His death. Because how can we know resurrection unless we know death? Consider the miseries of this life and how Christ suffered because of them. Yet consider how He was raised from the dead. 
in spite of those miseries and sin and death. We talked about this earlier in chapter 1 that what did Paul say to us concerning the suffering of Christ? That it has been granted to us to suffer for the sake of Christ. And in this life we do. We experience death. We experience sin. Not only our own sin, but the sin of others. The sins of this world. We experience death all around us. One day each of us will experience death. We deal with our own sin. The sin of loved ones. Loss. We deal with the, we're forced to endure the person in the mirror. Much less everyone else. And if that was the end of the line, imagine that being it. Of course, there would be no hope. But it's because of the resurrection of Christ that we can share in the power of His resurrection. We know that there is a hope in this world and that hope can be found in Christ for anyone who calls upon His name. Knowing the power of His resurrection in this life is sharing in His sufferings and seeing that ultimately those sufferings can have no power over you. This isn't to say that we can stop them from happening. We can't. Or that some amount of faith, if we just have a little bit more faith, then we can change the world around us. That idea is rubbish. Only God can change the world. But we rest on the power of Christ. And the changing world around us shouldn't bother us. It shouldn't concern us or cause us to worry because we rest in Christ. Rather than seeing it as a hindrance, we should see it as an opportunity to show the power of Christ in our lives. And this work of justification that we see in verse 9 and the work of sanctification in our lives, changing us through the power of the resurrection, sharing in His sufferings, this work of sanctification, both are capped by the work of glorification that we see in verse 11. Let's look again at verse 11 that by any means possible I may retain or attain the resurrection from the dead. Ultimately, these works in our lives are all to prepare us for a great and final day when our bodies are raised in, in immortal and imperishable and will be joined body and spirit in heaven with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this isn't about escaping the world at all, but rather seeing it as our reward at the end of a time that we have here. God has granted to us that we would suffer for a time, then in Christ be taken home forever in glory with Him. What gain can we find in this world that will top that? We should consider all things rubbish compared to this final reward that we have. For the unbeliever, again, this is difficult because the unbeliever is stuck at the point of seeing there's no hope in this world. There's no life beyond this one. Then there is no hope in this life. But there is life beyond this one. And for the unbeliever, rather than eternal life with Jesus, you will receive an eternal life of torment without God. Revelation 6 tells us about a group of people who had all the power and prestige and wealth that they could ever want. The kings of the earth, the wealthiest among us, will call upon the mountains to fall on them rather than face the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Call upon His name today and be saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you can be saved. For believers, these verses are a call for us to examine ourselves. It is nearly impossible to remove yourself from the concepts of gain and loss in our world. We just can't do it. We'd like to, but we can't. We're constantly bombarded by world, by, by what the world thinks is gain, by what they think is loss. We measure ourselves according to these things. We measure others according to these standards as well. We look at what others have or what we think we should have or we'll say what we look at ourselves and we think, okay, well, I'm good or how do they have that? I don't I have that? And we're constantly comparing ourselves. Why do they get to do that? Who do they know? We're always worried about these things that are just nothing, that are lost. The passage today shows us the true value of all things when compared to the value of Christ. They are rubbish. This passage isn't calling us to sell all of our possessions. It's not calling us to live lives like the monks of old, seeing how poor and hungry we can make ourselves. Why did they do that? Well, they thought it was going to earn them a better Jesus than the one that they had. And that's just it. Nothing can There is nothing that you can do to earn a better Jesus. That's why Paul said, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. There is no gain outside of Jesus Christ. And our prayer should be that God would move us to a place where we can consider all things rubbish in order that we might gain Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us pray for one another. Through the mercy of God, we may see the world as loss and Christ as gain. And that we can teach this in humility to the lost world around us that they may see and know Jesus and be found in Him. Let's go to Him in prayer.